Welcome to Sammy Joe's Podcast, the show that is all about gaining insights from top performers as they share what made their teams successful and translate those ideas into your everyday lives and businesses. Here's your host, three-time Olympian, professional speaker, author, and entrepreneur, Sammy Joe Small. Welcome to Episode 8 of Sammy Joe's Podcast, where I interview the captain of two Olympic gold medal winning teams, Cassie Campbell-Pascal. Originally from Brampton, Ontario, and a leader at every level, she participated in eight world championships, bringing home gold seven times. She was the face of Team Canada for many years and is still one of the most recognizable and famous female hockey players in the world. Cassie went on to the, a career in broadcasting, becoming the first woman to do color commentating for Hockey Night in Canada. She has the Order of Hockey in Canada and the Order of Canada, yet through it all is down to earth and always willing to lend a helping hand to those in need. Whether it's one of the many charities she lends her name to or being a mentor for so many females in sport and broadcasting, she is the epitome of a great leader. I hope you enjoy my interview with Cassie Campbell-Pascal. Welcome to episode eight of Sammy Joe's podcast, where I interview the captain of two Olympic gold medal winning teams, Cassie Campbell-Pascal. Originally from Brampton, Ontario, and a leader at every level, she participated in eight world championships, bringing home gold seven times. She was the face of Team Canada for many years and is still one of the most recognizable and famous female hockey players in the world. Cassie went on to a career in broadcasting, becoming the first woman to do color commentating for Hockey Night in Canada. She has the Order of Hockey in Canada and the Order of Canada, yet through it all is down to earth and always willing to lend a helping hand to those in need. Whether it's one of the many charities she lends her name to or being a mentor for so many females in sport and broadcasting, she is the epitome of a great leader. I hope you enjoy my interview with Cassie Campbell-Pascal. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional Indigenous owners of country throughout Canada and pay my respect to them, their culture, and their elders, past, present, and future. Today, I'm so pleased to welcome my team captain, Cassie Campbell-Pascal. There's so many directions I'd love to take this interview in. However, I think what would be most fascinating for our audience will be the incredible teams you're a part of and the amazing teammates that you've had led and how this has really helped you in your current career in life. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy professional life and being a mom to be on this podcast. Yeah, no, thanks, Sammy, for having me on. It's good. It'll, I'm just, I'm so excited to um, get such an iconic person like yourself who really is, um, has been such a great friend to me throughout everything. So uh, thank you. So let's first start talking about your original team, your first team, your family and the influence they had on you as a person. So your dad, Donald, sparked your hockey career, signing you up to play uh, when you guys lived in across the border. But growing up with a mom like yours, like Eunice, who played sports at the highest level, um, I'm sure that this was not the norm uh, in her day. So this must have impacted your decision to follow in your brother Jeff's footsteps and play as well. But what values did uh, both of them instill in you that has helped you through your illustrious hockey career and now into your professional life? Well, I think um, they both kind of influenced me in different ways. But uh, I think one way that is common is, you know, they both had their own businesses, right? So I, I watched them 
kind of grow up and and I watched my dad you know go he was a building construction he was building buildings high-rise buildings and then he starts his own business and he ends up doing that and I just watched the work ethic all along the way and you know same with my mom you know when my parents so is that how you guys ended up in the states was with his job yeah so he he used to work for a company called Cadillac Fairview and they he got transferred to the United States and that's how I got started playing hockey in New Jersey that's where we lived and he he worked in New York and um you know, my brother played and he had a girl on his team and that's kind of where I started playing. And like, really, if we would have stayed there, I probably would have ended up playing for the U S like, that's the craziest thing about yeah. it. Right. Cause I was only like six, seven years old. Um, and then I played there for two years and then moved back to Canada and, you know, was fortunate to go on and do the things that we did. But, you know, my mom, you know, when my parents got divorced, my mom had to figure it out. Right. So she started her own lawn and garden business and she was in sales. And, you know, so I watched her, you know, I think just work ethic, Sammy, that's what my parents taught me. And, um, you know, it, it just, you know, dealing with adversity, dealing with challenges. Um, and my brother, you know, he shot the hardest pucks he could find at me outside in the driveway. Right. So he taught me about resiliency and he taught me, you know, how to be a little tougher. And I always <laughs> wanted to hang out with him and his friends. So, um, you know, they're, they're, as your family is, they're a big influence on me, both good and bad, right? I think we learn a lot from our families. It's not always roses and it's not always positive, but that's what family is all about. And you stick together through thick and thin. And I, I feel like that's the kind of teammate I was too. Well, certainly my brother shot a lot of pucks at me. I ended up being the goalie. He went on, I mean, he hit me in the face so many times. I went on to be an optometrist. <laughs> I think that I kind of credit myself with putting him into that, in that next step. But, uh, I, I, I want to get back to your mom and her career in sport. I mean, it was just so um, sort of unheard of at the time for women of our generation to have moms that had a career in and of themselves in sport. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, my mom told me in 1969, she played professional women's football. And I was like, yeah, whatever, mom. You know, you don't believe your mom, right? right. And you're a teenager. And then she showed me an article. She had one article that she had kept from it. And of course it disbanded and it didn't work out. And I'd always love to go back and get some more research done on that league. Cause I think it'd be pretty cool, but you know, she played softball. My mom was a huge equestrian rider too. She trained mm. jumper horses. You know, she trained horses that were in the Royal, like one of the biggest. Uh, Did she you know, grow horse- up in Toronto? Is that she? Yeah, she grew up in Onini, uh, Peterborough area, and okay. um, my fa- my grandfather was a harness racer trainer. He trained mm-hmm. harness horses, and so she grew up around horses. And and you know, but I, I used to go to the barn with her every day, and you know, we we're mucking stalls, and you know, wow. she was training and teaching kids how to to ride. And um, you know, she was a really good rider herself, a really good equestrian rider. And you know, just family and life kind of took that part over. But she was always active, and I like I always remember as a kid going to watch my mom play softball with her with her friends and it was all women and I, I remember just hanging out with her at the barn you know with the horses and you know how hard she worked at that and so she was definitely someone that you know you didn't necessarily see at that time and luckily she was my mom so I kind of got to see that you could branch out and do these different types of things and that it was completely okay and she was your hockey coach for a long time too right and yeah, she was. Yeah. I'm curious how her as a, I, I had my dad as a swim coach and I was probably the worst athlete to my dad. I mean, I was, I would roll my eyes whenever he tried to tell me anything yet if somebody else tells me the same thing. So I'm curious now with you having a young daughter that you help coach sometimes in hockey, is there things that you, how are you with your mom and how is Brooke with you? 
You know, first, I got to say that you defy the odds of what people think a typical goalie is. And I, I say this in the in the nicest way because you're, <laughs> That's an, a good un, thing. you're an unbelievable athlete. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like goalies, they, people think, oh, they just kind of stand there and they just stop the puck. But you could swim. You could do everything. So I got to give you a lot of credit there. She is like an amazing Nerdy swimmer. and uncoordinated. Yeah, some, I, I got the nerdiness. That's no, no, no. You, you're an amazing athlete. I would say one of the best athletes in our program, like all around athletes. So give yourself wow, that's credit. Kind of, thank you. Um, I forget the question now, but um, oh, how you were with your mom versus oh, how yeah. Brooke is so with my you. My mom was hard. My mom was hard on me for sure, and and I think she was hard on me as my coach because she didn't want to. She wanted to make sure that there was no favoritism showed, mm. and I think that was where it was coming from. And, you know, I was usually the captain or the assistant growing up. And, you know, I think she felt that was her way. Like you're kind of hard on your leaders a little bit. And, um, you know, but she taught me a lot and she was always there, which was really, really important. And, I, you know, I think I, I'm a little nicer to my daughter. And I don't mean to say that my mom was just awful. But, you know, I kind of let my daughter get away with kind of goofing around. And we approach it, uh, the head coach and I, like I take care of his daughter and he takes care of mine. Cause mm. my daughter, like Brooke still thinks like, mom, you don't know anything about hockey. Like right. she doesn't really get it. And, and so she doesn't really pay much attention to me. So I usually get the other coaches to kind of correct her and help her and stuff. And I just try and keep it fun. You know, I just try to keep it fun with her and we, you know, we're literally spending time together. That's what we're doing. We're on the ice and it's just her and I spending time together. And that's kind of the way I approach it where, is I think my mom, you know, she was hard, like in a good way, but you know, she was hard on me and expected a lot out of me and, and, you know, didn't cut me a lot of slack, which I look back on now and it was, you know, it's very helpful for the rest of my life. So yeah, I can good. imagine. I think too, part of it is, you know, your um, mom had Jeff first. And so she kind of gets this trial run, whereas you and I only have one kid and I yeah. find it tough having only one kid to not let them get away with everything, you know, to... And to not everything. give them too much attention, right? Too like yeah, I feel they're like with they and they're with the, us all the time, right? Yeah, so yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I, it's the fine line of pushing your child and and challenging your child and wanting them to grow up as an only child. You want them to understand that there's adversity in life too, right? Mm -hmm. Like they don't get that sibling rivalry. They, you know, they don't get that constant working things out with their siblings. You know, they get that through school and stuff, but it you know, it's that fine line of giving them so much attention and loving them so much and wanting everything that's great for them and also letting them face real life realities. Right. Yeah. And so I find that a little harder than maybe some of my friends do who have multiple children. Well, it's easier to walk away from multiple kids. I think that yeah. that's the thing is you just go to the next one, right? It's hard to, yeah. you then have to sit there and kind of deal with the consequences as you sit there. Um, yeah, but everybody has their challenges for sure. Sure. So. Um, moving on to, um, your next, what I will say, maybe your great, maybe your greatest team that you will say you were a part of. Um, I know you've been to two Olympic games, you've captained, uh, us to gold medal performances, but in most of the stuff I've read about you, you talk about one of your career highlights was winning, uh, what was the O-U-I-A-A? I think that's what yeah, it was. Yeah, that's what it was called back then. Yeah. In 1995 <laughs> with the Guelph Griffins. So what really made that team so special and what made that memory so lasting and permanent for you? Well, I think because we spend so much time together. I mean, that you go to university, play hockey, you're training together, you're on the ice so much together, you're eating together, you're going to the library together, you're in classes together, like you literally become this family. And I think what made that group so special to me is that we were so different. Like our 
our veterans were so different from our young kids. And we, we had so many multiple, multiple strong headed personalities. And yet we found a way to have some fun. And, you know, for me winning that championship with that group, uh, we, we ended up playing university of Toronto and they had like at least seven national team players. Was that the era of like, uh, Laurie Dupuy, Vicky Sanahara? Yeah. Lloyd and Hef and, and, uh, Steph Boyd. There was like a whole group oh, wow. of them that kind of Karen Nystrom, there. was she there at the time? Karen Nystrom. Uh, what a team. Well, Andrea Hunter went there. There were so yeah. many players and we beat them in the final. And Jen Dewar, our goalie stood on her head. And, uh, oh, my, one of Jen. my best friends, yeah. Sarah Applegarth, she got the, the game winner. I had two goals. Liz Duval was our captain. Um, we, we were, we just beat this, this Goliath of a team, right? And we right. were like this, you know, and, and I think, you know, we had a reunion about four or five years ago and almost every single player came back. And I think that just says a lot about that group. You know, we had two or three players that, you know, unfortunately in life, they couldn't, they couldn't make the trip, but we, we got back together. And despite all these different personalities and these sort of different things that we had going on back in the day, we came back together about four or five years ago. And it was just like, we, we never, we just picked up where we left off and, you know, you just get a chance to catch up with that group. And, you know, that group, we, a lot of us played, you know, we started year one together too. So there was a core of us that kind of started year one and worked our way to year four or year five in some <laughs> cases. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just a special group of, and I, I don't want to say it like this, but we were kind of a no name group. Right. And, and just, uh, came together and, and we're from Why all do you over think Ontario. That, that team was able to come together. Was it the leadership? Was it the coaching um, was it just, you know, everybody leading from their own specific bench? What was it? Yeah, we had a combination. Like we were coached by Sue Shear, who was the first ever mm. captain of Canada's national women's team in 1990. You, you know, Susie Ewing, Winnipeg girls team. Yeah. And, um, like she was an amazing coach, like an amazing coach. And she was, you know, strict and strong. And um, but she was really close with the players in the sense that she wanted to know about your life. How's school? How's your home? Like, so she just led with this perfection that I think it trickled down to all of us. And, uh, you know, our captain, Liz Duval, just a terrific player, you know, really strong minded. And I think her and Sue really balanced, like balanced each other a little bit. And so that was good. And then, you know, myself and Sarah Applegarth and who else? Michelle Holmes, um, Jen Schuler, like just so many great players and people. And I, I think that's what, great teams are it's great people who are, are great players it's not necessarily great players who are great people it's great people first and that team just had so many great people and it sounds like that memory would have been everlasting had you not won had you just even made the finals you know it probably yeah. would have still had that same impact in your life I'm sure well we wouldn't have had the reunion right because like who <laughs> celebrates teams that finished fourth but the good news is we won so we we got to have a reunion but you're right like it, it may not be celebrated the way it would have been, but uh, I still think that group is going to be connected forever. You know, just yeah. pick up where we left off, reach out. If someone's in, help, in trouble, you know, someone will fill everybody else in and it would just be a group that would come together for each other. So it, That's it was really special that you were able to have that at such an early part of your hockey career too, that then led you into the next step. This episode brought to you by the Sammy Joe Small Hockey School with locations in Winnipeg, Manitoba and Oakville, Ontario. 
Started in 1998, my philosophy is to teach in a safe, fun environment with a very individualized focus. I try to attract some of the top hockey players and coaches in order that you learn and be motivated from both Olympians and world champions to university players and great coaches and great people. We want you to work hard, have a great time, leave with new friends and say, that was the most fun I've ever had at hockey school. One of the greatest things about your leadership style and I think why we were able to kind of come together under you um, was that you don't shy away from difficult issues. And it sounds like you had that um, learned from your mom, you had that from Sue Shear, you learned those, that from the people around you at, at, at a really early age. Um, do you feel like this was something innately within you? Like, were you that way growing up? Or did you have to sort of learn through those hard times of perhaps starting to say the more difficult thing? Um, I know in in leadership, that is, I, I, I tend to shy away from controversial issues and I really have to push myself. Have you had to push yourself into that? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think I've had to watch, uh, I, I've had to be better because I, I would say something every time, right? Like if, if right. I felt there was an injustice to a teammate or to our team, if something wasn't going well for our team, that was my mentality. Well, this is not good for the team. So let's fix it. Right. Like that. Uh, and sometimes that can be detrimental. Right. But it, um, you know, for me, it, it, I grew, I feel like with women's hockey, I, I was put in a position where I almost had to be that way. Right. Because everyone, especially early in my career with the national team and, you know, going into that first Olympics, I was sort of that face. And so everyone would come to me and any issue, like I had to answer these questions. And I learned as I, as I matured that, I did have a voice and that it was, you know, it, whether or not it was warranted or, or I should have, I don't know, but I did. And so I always made sure though, that I did my research and I, I got everyone's opinion. You know, you were someone that I would go to. And I've said this to you before, and I meant this in the best way that sometimes I would go to you because I knew our opinions sometimes were completely the opposite, but I needed to hear the opposite of my opinion because, and that wasn't always the case. Obviously we agreed on many things, but I need, I like to go to people that disagree with me or, or feel another way or think a different way so that I can learn like all the different processes that are, that are going around. So then my voice is the team's voice. It's not just my voice. It's like researched. And, you know, and I learned how to do that. I think over the years, cause I, I think early I wasn't really good at it, but I do believe just being real and being who you are and, and speaking the truth and speaking from the heart. And sometimes right away, it's not received well, but I think it always leads to change. And that's kind of the way I've approached it. I loved uh, doing the podcast with Danielle Sobajo and hearing her take on Ken Dufton and why she wanted Ken as a coach. And it was specifically for that reason, because Ken, um, well, Ken was, you know, constantly beating their Montreal team. So first off, she wanted to know how he did this, but she hated playing against him and she hated him as an opponent. So she's like, I better bring him in because he's going to, ask me the tough questions. He's going to be the other side of the coin. And I think that that's the mark of a great leader is that you are willing to have those people around you who are, you're willing to listen. You never shy away from that conversation. You never shy away from asking. And I think as a player, we always felt valued within that system. You know, maybe you don't go forward with the, the question or the answer that we provide, but you still ask the question, which I think mm -hmm. that that's, that to me is the mark of a great team is everybody feels like their voice is being heard, um, you know, moving forward. And 
um, your first time being our captain really was the 2002 Olympics and um, essentially sort of thrust into that that position, taking over from Therese Brisson, an amazing leader in her own right. But I'm curious how you heard the news um, that year moving into into the Olympics and um, the feelings that you had going into it. And then being the captain, what was really the most difficult or trying things that you had to go through before uh, we headed to Salt Lake? Um, you know, I was an assistant captain. Um, I'm trying to think, was I an assistant captain in 98? Yes, I was an assistant captain yes, in 98. Were. And yeah. uh, so I, I kind of was developing under, you know, Stacey Wilson and Therese Brisson and, and, and learning from them and, and many others, you know, Francais Louis and the list goes on and on. Um, and, and then I remember heading into the Olympic year and I remember this specifically, this whole thing. Um, and we, we, we were brought into a bathroom in within our locker room. You know, sometimes you, you play in those NHL buildings and they have these big change rooms and, you know, then they have these like gigantic washrooms off to the side. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And I remember, uh, it was myself and Wick and Vicky and Danielle Sobergeau brought us in and she said, Hey, like this, this is my group of leaders here. And she goes, I, and she asked us, who do you want to be captain? And we all looked, we all kind of looked at each other and none of us said a word. And she goes, okay, well, I want you guys to go and meet and come back and tell me who's going to be the captain of our team. So we're all like, okay, whatever. So we, we played the game and I, I believe we were in California, San Jose, I think. And we go back to the hotel that night and literally the three of us sat in a hotel room and we just said, Hey, we're not choosing. I'm not, I don't, like, we didn't care. You know, we were, whoever she picks, she picks. We're, we're the group. We'll be, you know, fine. And and then, you know, the next day we go back and she goes, okay, who's the captain? And to be honest with you, no one said anything at first. And then finally I spoke up and I said, hey, we're not going to choose. You're going to choose the captain. And we we don't care. We're here. We're going to play the same. We're going to do the same things. And And I think at that moment, when I spoke, she realized who the captain was. And, <laughs> right. and I and I don't take away from Wick and Vic, because you know that, you know, all three of us could easily have been the captain. So, um, but I think just, we had such a great group. And that thing with our three, the three of us in particular, like you think of Vicky sort of, you know, intense and fun loving and, and, you know, go through the wall for anybody. And, and, and Wick had those same qualities except sometimes the fun loving was missing, right? Because she right. was just so In a very intense. different like, way. She was just a very different way, but yeah. equally I mean, we, we trained hard because Wick trained hard. I mean, yeah, she pulled sure. us all along in a very different way than Vicky pushed us. Yes. And she, Haley dragged us. Well said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then yeah. I was in the middle, right? I was yeah. sort of like, I could be hard and I could be intense and I could be feisty and I, I can be fun loving. And so I think we were just, we were just a great group of three and that's kind of how it went down. Next thing you know, she pulls me, she's like, you're going to be the captain. I'm like, okay. And the hard thing for me was, uh, Therese, to be honest with you, because she was our captain and I was replacing her. And so having that conversation with her and, you know, she was amazing. She came up and congratulated me right away, right away. And, and, you know, eventually over the, you know, the next couple of weeks we had a conversation and she understood that this wasn't me, you know, this was a decision by the coach and, uh, and I always relied on Sharice, you know, even though she wasn't a captain, I always relied on her for and same with, with you, like just advice. And, and she was someone that sometimes told me the opposite opinion too. And, and I, I always appreciated her intensity and what she brought. So it was just an interesting thing. And, and yeah, it was, 
I, I, Sojo wanted us to pick it and we were like, no, we're not picking it. So, I mean, um, I think that the three of you guys work so well together and, um, you know, as you perfectly described, you came at it from such different angles that I don't think she, yeah, I mean, you could, you could, you could have put another probably 10 people in that group and great. But the way that you guys, um, I guess then took over really made the impact. Like that was, you know, I think you guys were everlasting in that. Yeah. Well, Sammy, I captained a team full of captains. Like who's right. kidding who? That yeah. that group of women in particular that understood the connection to that 1990 team moved into those 2002 years. And then we, we brought in some young players, but they still understood the tradition. Like you you look at that roster and other than our goalies, of course, but still you guys were great leaders. Like everyone was a captain or an assistant on their club team. Like mm -hmm. everyone. So it's... It, it wasn't a difficult task. There were some difficult times, but it wasn't a difficult task. And, and we just had an amazing group of women. Like that group of women, I, I really think set the strongest foundation in women's hockey, that generation. And, um, you know, and what I know there's What do you think so made that team so special? Do you think it was the, the understanding of tradition? Um, you know, what I, what I personally think was that we came along in this era where it was, it was still okay to kind of be you. And we, you know, you didn't get scouted at a young age. So you, um, we had this whole life that we brought to the team. And um, not to say that the, the team itself today is not built up of great people, but um, we had such a diverse uh, background and thought and that that was really um, celebrated within the locker room in a, in a much different way than I think leading into say Vancouver even was, you know, like. I would say that from 99 to kind of 2004-ish, kind of that era of women that um, really had to fight for the chance to play even. Like it, it just had this fierceness yeah. to them um, that I don't think you can duplicate again because that doesn't exist anymore. Well, they, they grew up with a lot of adversity trying to play hockey. Like, so you better love it. And I think mm -hmm. that's what made that group stand out so much is that like Sammy, they, we just love the game. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we pushed for things behind the scenes. We fought for things, but we played because we loved it. And we showed up and if they gave us a Hockey Canada t-shirt, we were like, oh my gosh, this is the amazing thing. And, and our, you know, we, we appreciated when we walked in and our jerseys were hanging in our stalls and we kind of understood those, that generation understood where it was and where it was going and then where it's gone, you know, and, but I truly believe that generation more than any other played for the love of the game because we faced so much adversity trying to play it growing up. Like we heard the naysayers as we walked into the arenas, we, we barely had girls teams to play on. Right. Some of us did depending on where we lived. And, you know, we just faced so much adversity. We dressed in little rooms and then went into, to, if we played with boys, you know, we, we had, I don't know, that, that's the big thing with that group to me is they absolutely love the game and would do anything to play it at the highest level possible. And, you know, it showed in the way we played and how we won and that we, we knew how to win. We knew how to come back if we were down. You know, we knew how to hold the lead. We, we just knew how to keep the group together. And we knew that we were all different in some way. And we all brought different things to the table. And we respected that about each other. And I think that was really, really important to our success. And how do you replicate that when things are um, perhaps there is more available? There's more opportunities. Um, you know, the same can be said for uh, families of, you know, first generation uh, Canadians who fight for that ability to get to that next level. How do 
you know, we as parents who can now provide for our for our children still give them that adversity? How does uh, a team provide that adversity for um, elite level athletes who I'm sure love it? I mean, they love the game. You know, there just isn't necessarily the construct that we had to go through. So how do you replicate that? Or how do you think? Well, I look at this current generation and I, I wonder if maybe they're facing the most diversity that we've ever faced as a program sure. uh, because they're not allowed to play at the elite level. Like right. it's there and they, they don't, you know, they've gone, what, 750 days without um, games to play. You know, their league folds, um, you know, just, you know, obviously COVID, which it's, it's hit people in more serious ways. But um, this group, honestly, when I first started working with this group, I wasn't sure what I was going to find out. Like, I, I didn't know many of them. I mean, I knew who they were, but I wasn't of sure. Course. And they changed my attitude about the young athletes. They want to get better every single day. They're willing to put their careers on hold for what they feel is better for the game. And that's hard to do. Like, that's mm-hmm. really hard to do, especially, you know, as you're getting into your 30s and, and you know, knowing that your career is coming to an end. And this group of women from around the world have kind of stuck together. And and, and I, I've learned that it's a different generation. They, they you know, they, they look at social media. They <laughs> want to know the likes. They, you know, they, they have sort of different way of putting them out there as hockey players. Like, even though I was sort of like the face of the game, I always was like, you know, trying to deflect it. And, you know, it, it just was our generation's way. Now they're out there and they got their outfits on and they're like you know they're just having so much fun I mean can you just imagine our girls at that oh my god what they're gonna be like oh yeah yeah and I I just think that it's they do handle adversity and I think they have more adversity to some degree headed their way because of social media um you know those are some you know if I didn't want to see like I wouldn't read a magazine if I didn't want to see something specific about the way a woman's body should be I, I just didn't read those magazines, but now they're being bombarded on their phones every single day about images and the way women should be and fighting for equal rights. And like, you know, everything is just at them 24 seven. And so I give a lot of credit to these athletes on how they handle adversity, how they streamline and stay focused. And I'm not sure if I've seen, uh, and you know, you and I, we played with so many great people and, and we were driven ourselves, but I'm not sure I've seen a more driven group of women than this generation. And, you know, especially in our country, we haven't won a lot, you know, we haven't won a lot in a long time. And, uh, you know, they, they feel it and they wear that and, and, and they're, they're upset by it. And so I, I'm just so proud of all the, like, I, I wasn't sure if they knew how to face adversity. And I got to tell you, Sammy, meeting these women and being around them, they, they take adversity and they just smash right through it. And it, it's been really amazing to watch. And, and their whole focus is always about how do I get better every single day? And it's, it, it's, it's just so much fun to watch and really refreshing from what my perspective was going in. Well, I think anybody that works in the corporate environment, I think at first it is that hesitancy because it's, they are so different from us. But then once you start to realize what they can bring to the table and what they have already gone through, you're right, with the social media surrounding their lives, they have this ability to adapt to so many different situations. And you and I were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, if there was ever a group that could go through something like this over the course of two years, you don't want to wish it upon anybody. But this group has the strength and the resiliency 
um, to come through it, hopefully with flying colors. So I look forward to watching them play when I actually get to watch them play. I know. Like, when is that going to happen, right? Right. Anyway, let's not go there. Let's not go there. So <laughs> let's go back and talk about some of your teammates. So okay. um, I want to know from your perspective, um, who are some of the teammates that you think um, – First, let's start. Who do you think you clicked best with on the ice? Do you know what, Sammy? I think that was one of my strengths as a player. You know, when I was a defense in my first Olympics and then asked to play forward, like, you know, my first reaction was, am I going to make this team? Like, how do I make this team, right? Like, these girls have been playing women, have been playing for forward their whole life. But that, I think, was my strength, is I, I truly believe I could play with anyone. So if you want me on the first line, which on our team would have been Wick and Goyette, who aren't easy to play with because they are so talented and they demand a certain presence. They demand, you know, you don't miss a pass. If it's on your stick, you get it. You make a perfect pass. Like that's, that's the way they play. And not everyone could play in that sort of stressful environment, but I could, I could play on the third line. Didn't, you know, if you, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Okay. I'll play with her. And I think that was my strength. I, I never, I never looked at the board on the lines, whether it was the first line or fourth line and think, ah, I got to play with her. Like I, I looked at my line, like, Oh my gosh, this is what an opportunity. I can't wait. Oh my gosh. I've never played with you before. This is going to be so amazing. And I remember I played with, um, I, I played with Hef one year and it was Kelly Bouchard that was with us. And that was our line. And it was the first time it was thrown together. And I think it was like 2000 worlds, maybe in Mississauga. Uh, I, uh, and you know, we were great. And then, then they put bots with us because we ended up going to like we were down and we ended up scoring and and like I it was just that's the way I approached it like what do you what do you want me to do what position do you want me to play what line do you want me to play on and that's why I think I played as long as I did because I had that attitude you know I never you're a goalie right and, but you you get the sense of the one two and three who's our number one who's our two who's our three and for, and that's different because you have that one game right that one time but for us as players, you look at the board and you think, okay, first line, second line, third line, fourth line. And if you see your name on the fourth line, some people are like, oh, you know. And I was like, all right, here we go. Like, here, yeah. let's make this the best fourth line possible. And um, I think that's, I was lucky in that sense. I, I could play with anyone. Didn't, and no one's personality bothered me. Like if, you know, me, I was kind of like a bit more happy-go-lucky and tried to always be positive, but I was intense. And, but no one's personality bothered me. Like no one. Who do you think pushed you um, maybe off the ice to be better, to want to, um, you know, perform better on the ice? Was there anybody in Calgary specifically that maybe at the Oval that yeah. you just love to train with, um, who you just really gelled with? Do you know, my first Olympics, I, I asked to train with Laura Schuler because mm -hmm. Laura Schuler was jacked and she was it, and like intense. 85 push up or chin ups. And like I, at that time, I could do like four. Right? I so played I with like, Laura in Brampton. Oh yeah. yeah, she was. I mean, she was the one ripping your head off as a goalie every single practice. Yeah, and so I was like, okay, I need to get stronger, so I'm going to train with you. And she needed to be better at cardio, and you know, and that was my strength. So she's like, okay, we're a perfect match. So we would push each other, and um, I, you know, I think everyone did. The oval was interesting. You know what I really liked the best about the oval, Sammy, is that you could train with other athletes. Because we, you know, we were always together and we're, you know, always pushing each other. But at the same time, you watch the speed skater do a leg day and you think, okay, I'm never going to be able to lift that much weight, <laughs> but I could try to at least get a little closer. And so, you know, then we would do an upper body day and they would look at us and be like, oh, I probably could try and lift a little more. And, um, and so you so guys had skaters there. You guys had wrestlers there. Yeah. What other athletes all... did you have around? 
you know, speed skaters predominantly, but we had skiers come in, you know. We have some swimmers probably. Yes, swimmers. um, You name it. I think summer and winter athletes, which was pretty cool. Mostly winter, I guess, just because it was the Olympic Oval. But there you'd often see swimmers and summer athletes come in and and just watching them and their routines. Like, I, I really enjoyed that. But we had a really cool group there, like Colleen Sestorics, Daniel Goyette, Kelly Bouchard, Carla Dana and Tell. Data and Tell. And we were all different in, in our, the way we trained and our body types. And um, so we really did push each other a lot. And it was a full-time commitment, like which was unusual back then for it to be so, like a professional program. We weren't paid, but it was professional. Like, Yeah, tell us a little day. bit about the Oval. Because I think, you know, today's generation doesn't really know that this... You know, essentially what women's hockey is fighting for essentially existed with the Olympic Oval. I, you know, I say that it did with the Toronto Arrows and Ken Defton did his best to sort of create this whole program. But really in Calgary, that was the preeminent program um, yeah. in the day. And Danielle Sauvageau is attempting to recreate that in, in Montreal, which is amazing. But you guys had that. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, the Olympic Oval was tough because with all due respect to the Edmonton Chimos, who were really one of the longest standing women's hockey organizations at that time, we didn't have anyone to play because we had like 15 Olympians on the team and, you know, we were pretty good. And so we... You guys were we, very good. Not just pretty good. Yeah, good. it was yeah. tough to find teams to play against, to be honest with you. And I, you know, I um, loved the Edmonton Chimos and, and, you know, we had the Strathmore Rockies eventually, but we often played men's teams and boys teams to keep up sort of the competition but it was full-time you know you're on the ice every day sometimes twice a day you're training every day sometimes twice a day like it was you were a full-time hockey player really and um but it was it was a high performance everything about it environment but the toughest part was that you're oh sorry I got people calling me um that you know the toughest part was that you you that group was training to make the national team so how do you make that olympic oval team a team right when everyone's sort of on their individual thing and i i feel like that was one thing i tried to change as soon as i got there like we're in a hockey team here guys like we you know we got to be competitive and yes we're all trying to make the national team but we we want to win our games and we want to have fun doing this and and you know that was one thing i was kind of proud to bring to that environment but it was a high performance individual based program that basically took your hockey to a whole other level. You know, we had skills coaches and our, you know, our coach and Thomas Pacino was one of the best coaches I ever had. And, um, you know, for me, it was, you know, getting out of Toronto too, where it was like, you could go to an event every night and you had all these commitments off the ice that I just, I needed to kind of get away from. Like mm-hmm. I just, that was the time when it was sort of at the height and I, I needed to get away from it. So that was one of the big reasons I moved out here. And I knew I just needed to, take care of myself a little bit better and uh, it was a perfect environment for me and what made Thomas so great as a coach why do you say you loved him as one of the best coaches yeah I learned so much from him because like he he treated us and I I hope this is okay to say but he treated us like men and and he, he pushed us and he wasn't afraid to push us and he the skill stuff he kind of brought over all that skill stuff from the Czech Republic and that one-on-one sort of attention and skill stuff and you know he he you know, look at, on video with you on a two-on-one, when you should make the pass, why did you make the pass here? And he would give and me this these is in the, I mean, in the 2000s, we didn't have video. So yeah, this might seem like commonplace for some of the listeners that we looked at video, but I don't remember seeing video with the national team really until 
probably 2006, like the 2005, yeah. 2006 season where we sat down and watched video. But leading into Salt Lake, we saw highlights. But it wasn't like you sat down with your coach and actually looked at, like, it just wasn't available, right? So yeah. the fact that he did that was probably revolutionary. Yeah, and it, it, and it might have been a little different for a goalie because I remember going back and watching games, but it was after the fact, right? Like right, I'd but you would watch the whole game. Yes, for sure. Right? Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> just like sit there and fast clip. forward. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Thomas, he he would get these little clips and he'd have them on his laptop and he would show you different things. And I think he introduced me to that, you know, and he because it was an individual based program, he he could give you that more individual time and skills. And I just learned about shooting and skill work and uh, little things you could do to try and score on a goalie. And, you know, not that it helped me, but um, you know what I mean? Just like he was just so he was just so imagine good. if you had I not loved- learned that. Yeah, I know. I love you. Always, you never give yourself enough credit because I think that, um, you know, people always ask me what it was like to play against Cassie Campbell. And I'm like, you know what? She looked like she could never score. She'd come down and put the puck in the net and you'd be mad at yourself. You'd be mad because you're like, what the heck? And I yeah. really, I equate it with Cammie Granato. The same thing. I always thought with Cammie, like, what's this player doing out here? Like what, you know, what is she doing? She's in this open ice, but she's nowhere near the play. And then all of a sudden she has a stick, like the puck on her stick and she's putting it in and you're like, what the? And that's what you were like in practice. All of a sudden you'd have the puck and you'd be in front of me and you score and tuck it between my legs. And I could like see it go through my legs or see it go in. And I'm like, how did she do that? So imagine if Thomas had never taught you that. Yeah, I was a defenseman who was transferred to a forward, and I swear I never got out of the habit of passing. Like, I would pass on a breakaway, too. Like, I always, you know, and plus I played with Wick and Goyette for the large part of my forward career, and so that's my job. Just get them the puck. Like, right. I and they're probably shouting at you for the puck, too. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, let's face it. I, I was the one who got the puck and moved it to those that could score, like a half and well, you don't give yourself you know. enough credit because I can remember in practice you scoring a lot of goals and um, yeah, you joke about it now, but clearly you learned that from probably Thomas just like instilling in you thousand bucks a day, whatever it was, you guys were shooting, shooting, shooting. Yeah, it was. Uh, and that was the thing, you know, you, I, I had a shooting coach when I was with the Olympic Oval who I hired and everything was individual based. That was the specific, you know, thing about the program. And um and when I got there, though, the environment was just, it was, it was individual based and it, I didn't like it. Right. I, you, you know, me, I just, so we, we ended up doing, we had a lot of fun. And I think we changed the way that program thought that you can still be individual based and have fun as a hockey team and the importance of hockey being a team sport. You need to, high performance is about teaching people to be team yep. players and team athletes. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I made the move. And obviously, you know, I'm out here and live here and my husband's here and my daughter. So it's, it was a good move for me. Nice. Okay. Well, let's uh, change tracks a little bit and talk about some of the, um, maybe resiliency. I think that that's probably a key phrase right now uh, for people during the pandemic. And um, you had talked about being a defenseman and being asked to play forward the year after you won top defenseman in the world. So here you are in a new environment being asked this and you did it. Um, then going into the 2006 Olympics, you had what was essentially a debilitating back ailment injury. Um, and that can't have been easy. Um, then you get on, you get in with hockey night in Canada and like a month later, they're like, here, you're going to do color and be the first female. And we're going to tell you the day of, 
and here you go, just go to it. And every time that I've saw, I saw you go through those challenges, those obstacles, um, you always remain so positive around the team. And I'm curious if that's, um, if you learned that and what you kind of felt outside of that. And you always were seeming to look to the future and you always wanted to bring the best out in the people around you, no matter how hard or difficult the circumstances you were in. So when you're speaking to groups, when you're instilling this message in others, how do you teach others to be that resilient? How do you how do you spark them to have those feelings of let's just move forward, let's just keep going through it all? Well, I don't know if I have this perfect recipe for it, but I I think that part can sometimes be a little innate. And you know, in two thousand and six, it, it was a a neck injury that oh, a neck you injury. know, I. I uh, I thought it was your back. That was well, my back back, too. It was it was my back too, but it 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 was my neck injury, and you know I had to I had to come in early, and I and Doug Stacy was our trainer, and I would be there before him, and I would get my heat pads on, and I put them on my back too, and I get them on my neck, and then I had to do all these exercises, and and for me, I never wanted anyone to see that I was kind of weak, right? Like you guys all knew that last year was just a struggle, but you know, you're still the captain of the team. So you still got to show that you're okay. I got this and I, I'm, I'm good. Um, but I, I think resiliency is, is just being able to quickly analyze the situation. You know, it's like, okay, this is a high pressure situation. You either sink or you swim and you have a choice. And my choice was always, I want to swim. I want to get through this and I, I want to go. And, and sometimes it's not easy. Of course you face adversity, but I always think that you learn you know, you, you really learn a lot from challenges. You learn how to be motivated and you learn about perspective. And that's, a, those are two big things for me that I think as an athlete mindset, you, we expect challenges. We want adversity because those are the things that make us better, right? If everything's going well, we're, we're not going to have that drive to improve, right? So we're, we're dying for challenges. We're dying for a little adversity so that we can show that we're resilient so that we can push ourselves to get better every single day. And that's kind of our mindset. And that's the same mindset I think I've taken uh, throughout the rest of my career is, you know, I'm motivated by certain things that I've had to face. And it also gives me perspective when I make a mistake on air and live television. Um, so those two things, uh, motivation and perspective, I think that's what challenges have always given me. And uh, as an athlete and as an injured athlete, and specifically about the time you're talking about motivation, I needed it. I needed it however I could get it. So um you know, that's kind of how I approach resiliency is, is expect challenges, almost want them. Um, because that's how you're going to learn the most about yourself and what you're capable of, right? If you are stay there, in this are there step, ever any days where you feel like you're going to sink and sure, you know, and then, and then what yeah. do you do? What, how do you get yourself past that? Yeah. Well, I, I remember, you know, when I first started with hockey night, um, you know, Ron would go around from city to city at the opening of the show. And, you know, you had 30 seconds. No, you have 20 seconds. No, you only have 15 seconds. So this is what's going on, right? Based on what everyone else says, usually I was the last one because I'm doing the, the third ranked game, if you will. And so then you're like, you prepared like 45 seconds and then all of a sudden they're like 30 and then all of a sudden they're like 15. There were times where I was like, uncle, like just how do I do this? Like I'm not a broadcaster. I'm an athlete trying to be a broadcaster. But that's when I would have that self-talk where for me, I had three words that I always use, believe you belong. I've always used that throughout my whole career. Believe you belong. Okay. Believe you belong. So Ron's coming to me and I know it's coming. 
believe you belong. And, and I, you'd have this self-talk. And of course there were so many nights where I did sink, like it's live television, it, you know? And so you, again, you, you got to learn from those things. You can't let them bring you down. You have to have this ability to channel them to an area where it becomes a strength, right? Otherwise, you know, it's a funny thing. The other day I was, you know, upset about something and my daughter saw me crying and she said the, the most amazing thing to me. She said, mom, you know why you're crying? It's just allowing your body to get stronger. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, isn't that crazy? And yeah, amazing that they what, know that. That's what failure teaches us. It teaches us how to get stronger. It teaches us how to, that we are stronger than we think we are. Um, so it, I, don't, I don't know if there's like a science to it, but I just have this ability to quickly get motivated by adversity. And I, I learn quickly and I move on boom, it's over. And sometimes that can be a, a weakness because you, you kind of don't deal with all the things that you should probably be dealing with. But that's my mentality is just move forward and here we go. And that's all I got. Well, I love that advice. And I think that's the perfect way to end it is to believe you belong. I think for all of us, if we can just remind ourselves of that, um, I'm sure many of our listeners uh, going through tough times, it, um, you know, sometimes you have that motivation and sometimes you just want to give it. And other days it's tough to get it. But if we can all just recite Cassie's mantra, believe you belong. I think that's some great advice to leave us with. So Cassie, you will always be my captain, uh, whether it's in the middle of a snowfield in Manitoba <laughs> or it's with Team Canada. Oh. Oh, um, we have gone through a lot together and I continue to appreciate everything that not only you have given to the game, but to me specifically. So thank you. And thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Cheers, Sammy. Cheers. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Sammy Joe's podcast. If you have suggestions for guests in the future, would like to book her for your next event, advertise on this podcast, or to purchase her latest book, The Role I Played, please go to www.sammyjoesmall.ca.